If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. So I want to do something a little different with this podcast episode today. I'd like to read a story that I wrote last year titled, Fish It Anyway. And I'll get to that in a minute. I'll quickly remind you that Season 7 of the Trout Bitten Podcast begins on April 10th with a new topic and my full crew of fishing buddies every week. In the meantime, you can follow along with the Trout Bitten website, publishing three times a week, and keep an eye out for the latest videos on the YouTube channel, publishing every two weeks. So being Trout Bitten is very much about the pursuit of fishing tactics. It's about discovering new techniques and improving our skills. We don't want to hope something will happen out there. We try to make it happen. And that element of fly fishing, where there's always something new to try, is what is so attractive to those of us who dedicate much of our lives to the river. But there's another side to this love of pursuing trout. And I once wrote it down in an article this way. There are two sides to every fisherman. One that simply enjoys being on the water, hoping to catch a fish. And the other that desperately wants to know how to put more fish in the net. These two parts find an internal balance inside every long-term angler that I know. Among the nearly 1,000 articles published on Troutbitten, I strive to reflect this balance. The stories category of the website carries the heart and soul of this Troutbitten project. And if I were limited to writing stories or tactical pieces only, I would no doubt hold on to the stories. I love this kind of writing. So here's one of my favorites, first published on February 23rd, 2022. This is one of my favorite stories that I call Fish It Anyway. The water was stained, almost orange really, and it had the troublesome look of coal mine drainage that so many streams in western Pennsylvania had at the time. No way there are fish in there, Mark said. We had parked off the interstate 
at a long, wide pull-off of mixed gravel, cinder, and stubborn weeds. Tractor trailers parked here regularly, and some of them overnighted, while the long-haul drivers got a little shut-eye. As Mark and I climbed back over the guardrail, away from the rusty water and toward my car, he pointed to a condom among the litter, and I signaled to the Mountain Dew bottle, probably filled with urine. This area was in need of a cleanup. Two days later, I came back. I pulled in behind a freight liner that was decked out with every aftermarket trinket sold by the Flying J, and I strung up my Reddington while standing at the raised trunk of a Buick Skylark. The wind and hum of cars whizzed by at 80 miles an hour. I saw two snakes fish for three hours and caught four fish, all tiny wild brook trout, and I couldn't wait to tell Mark that he was wrong. I hadn't thought that I'd catch a fish in that orange ditch either, but I fished it anyway. In another time, early July, hot sun with cold water running in the mountain streams. At the tail end of a camping trip, Dad was a good sport and logged the backcountry miles behind the wheel of the pickup as I navigated with a Delorum Atlas on my lap. With hope and curiosity, my finger traced and twisted through the mint green forest and around the gray contours of peaks and valleys. We crossed over big waters on concrete bridges, and then we crossed small creeks flowing under old iron grates. Dad slowed and stopped at each of them. We peered out the open windows, breathing the cool air that directly inhabits such valleys as we gazed upstream, dreaming of native brook trout. How about this one, Dom? Dad asked the question at one crossing. Dust from the tires blew through the narrow gap and found a scattering of sun rays that broke through the green treetops. I heard Dad, a thin voice at the edge of my consciousness while I leaned out of the window and stared at the water, considering our fate. As a young man granted the trust of my father, I felt a responsibility and a fervent wish to choose wisely. One more valley, Dad. I leaned back in and returned upright in a cloth seat. Our border collie's wet nose found my ear and he gave me a little nudge. We'll get there, I told them both. Let's drive a little further into the headwaters. When our afternoon travel had extended well into the evening, Dad's truck finally settled on the north side of a culvert. We'd gone far enough that the headwaters had broken into high-gradient branches, and with these summer flows, there were a lot of dry rocks around the edges of a meager, narrow stream, no wider than the truck bed. It's thinner than I'd hoped, Dad, I said. That's all right. Let's see what we can find, he replied happily. So in the few hours before dusk, we walked upstream and cast royal wolves to every likely hole and undercut. We caught nothing, but we learned about the wariness of eastern brook trout. In the skinniest riffles, we watched trout fins draw lines through the surface as the small fish rushed to the nearest mossy log for cover. It was a good lesson in great company. It was the smallest water we'd ever cast to, but we fished it anyway. Then another time. The morning fishing was average, with a few trout to the net in the best spots, and rarely a trout from anywhere else. Nothing remarkable had happened, and that's saying something for any fishing trip. Over the last two hours, the sprinkling rain that began the day had grown into a full pour. I was uncomfortable and wet under the raincoat because I'd left it unzipped in the drizzle for too long. So when the driving rain finally came, I zipped up and locked in the hours of absorbed moisture. The hood made it worse. Forty degrees being pushed by a northern wind had made its way to my limbs. The chill that settled in threatened to make its way to my core. But when I moved enough and waited hard, it was bearable. 
From upstream 50 yards, I saw Smith reel up and break down his rod. He was done for the day. He looked around one last time, seeming to take it all in. Then he gazed toward the rain clouds and into the future. With spring flows already topped off, this river was the only fishable water around. Heavy rain would send it over the top for the next few days. And considering the forecast, we stood a good chance of suffering blown-out conditions across the region for a week or more. Smith walked my way. And when he was close enough, he yelled over the washed-out white noise of a million raindrops landing and splashing everywhere. Smith's voice, so distinct from the rain, made it to my ears and reverberated in the chasm of my Gore-Tex hood. Did you see the olives? Smith asked. I stood midstream with my rod dangling at my side, unsure, uncertain, and in a crisis of decision. I nodded to my friend. I did see them, yeah. First olives of the year, I said. I saw two decent rises in that soft water over there, too, right before this rain got so heavy. And from somewhere subconscious, a part of me made the choice. I'm going to stay on until dark, I told Smith. I tied on a dry dropper, and I'll cover the edges. Smith looked surprised. Good luck with that, Dom, he said. His tone was not patronizing. Smith's comment was purely benevolent. He meant it. From one fisherman to another, good luck with that. Go get him. I watched Smith walk toward the access, toward home, toward the rest of life, into the lights, into the warmth, into the friendships. But I stayed with the river and remained alone, pensive in the rain, resolute in the wind. The river rose quickly and the olives were gone, or at least I couldn't make them out through the drapery of raindrops. It would be hard to make the case for a dry dropper rig any longer, given the deteriorating conditions. But it's the rig I had already tied on. So I fished it anyway. That's it. That's the story. And thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, the Trout Pitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Pitten website hosts over 900 articles with the endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Thank you for listening to the Trout Pitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.